from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? We're back live tonight. Thanks for uh, braving the um, the greatest hits last night. Uh, greatest hits, I should say, the best of. And um, I, I was actually with most of the people that you heard on the program last night, last night at Mar-a-Lago. I was at the uh, screening for Dinesh D'Souza's new film, Police State. It was, uh, it was a really good time, and I want to talk a little bit about that. I also want to make sure you guys have the phone number uh, for this Thursday night edition of the program. 833-482-5337-833-4 Valdez. I almost forgot the number. One night off and I forget the phone number. Anyway, there's a, there's a couple of big stories I want to talk to uh, talk to you about as well. Uh, Sam Bankman freed. Not free. Not at all. The bank man uh, was found guilty on all charges today. And you've also got uh, Mayor Eric Adams. He's together with uh, several other mayors from Democrat cities that are requesting an urgent meeting with President Biden over the uh, continued influx of illegal immigrants into their cities. Uh, the House of Representatives also passed a, a bill for uh, aid to Israel, and it cut IRS funding as a part of it. So got to say kudos to Mike Johnson. That's exactly the, uh, the steps that we need to take. Now, I'm sure there will be somebody saying, um, you know, it didn't go far enough. We need to do X, Y, and Z. But uh, I'll, I'm on board. I'm on board saying that's the way to do it. We've got to get the idea out there and, and continue to, to go in that direction. Then there's another story here, um, a domestic story. 187,000 illegal immigrants were apprehended at the border in October. And there's another 30,000 more that were reported as gotaways. Now, this this is a, an ugly number, just like the number for September was a terrible number. I mean, it's like one bad number after the next. And <clears throat> got to say, um, the border thing, out of control. And this is where... Um, I guess I'll start to reflect back on the uh, the the film by Dinesh D'Souza, Police State. Because this film, uh, it, fascinating to me, uh, excellent film. I highly recommend it. It's produced by Dinesh D'Souza and Dan Bongino. Very, very good film. I saw them both last night. They did an excellent job with this. Um, several of the people that you've heard on this program that we've interviewed over the last year or so have... Um, cameos in that film really really well done it really documents a number of areas and if you don't remember Dinesh D'Souza's film we have a short trailer that we played when he was on and I, I want you to just give it a quick listen Chief Division Counsel and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach we want the subject to be on display doing the walk of shame full visual impact any questions are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after 
after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! The film was fantastic. The trailer doesn't even do it justice. They do a really deep dive with a with all the FBI whistleblowers, with the moms that were uh, surveilled and arrested and had their homes raided after they spoke out against uh, uh, transgenderism in their children's public school. Uh, I mean, it was just really remarkable to hear these stories uh, as as in-depth and as, as close as um, Dinesh D'Souza in this film as he caught it. He really, really nailed it with this one. And there's so many areas. And ultimately, it's it's about the rise of the police state, but how it ties into so much of everything that we're seeing. Uh, Cash Patel, who's a regular on this program, is is um, uh, highlighted in the film. And I got to tell you, he, he like he does on the program, he nails it in this film as well. It's definitely something you should check out. There's It's in theaters... Uh, I think this week and additionally you can catch it on rumble.com which uh, sponsored part of the event last night at Mar-a-Lago really really um really great service to anybody who wants to watch it I was talking to my brother the other day and I hadn't even seen it yet and I was going to the red carpet screening I thought I was cool and my brother was like yeah I already watched it it's on rumble <laughs> I was like oh that's cool so if you want to support it in theaters great uh the big screen experience is fantastic and uh, I, I'd been to some of the uh, Trump properties before, the uh, Trump uh, Club in Westchester, New York, uh, the Trump Tower, um, and uh, the Bedminster Club in New Jersey. And uh, Mar-a-Lago is really, it's, it's like something out of Cinderella. Um, really, really, really good time. Great ambiance, great, great people that were there. Uh, the, uh, there was a bunch of uh, rappers there, believe it or not, a bunch of rappers wearing MAGA hats. It was it was really interesting. Very very eclectic crowd. Our friend Dick Morris was there. Uh, lots of Roger Stone. Just a really interesting bunch of people. It was nice to to catch up with them off the air. So um, anyway, that's enough on that. And tonight we're going to dig into a bunch of interesting topics. Uh, at the bottom of hour number two, we're going to talk about the Chinese Cultural Revolution, and that's something I really want to dig into because. Only the people that kind of lived that and survived it really kind of um, can smell it coming when they see it. And it's always fascinating to hear uh, about the similarities they're seeing in our current America and how, given the rise of the police state, how that lends itself so well to this uh, Marxist revolution that we're seeing in the United States. Fascinating, really is. Uh, And again, I'm into this stuff, but... Uh, even if you're not, even if you're an outsider, if you're not a political person, I think watching this documentary uh, from D'Souza would be a benefit. And we're going to talk about the Chinese Cultural Revolution a little bit later. We're also going to talk about uh, the economy. I want to talk about what's going on with the latest. Uh, we, we haven't been uh, really paying too much attention to Biden on the economy because we've been paying so much attention to how he's supporting um, the aid for Gaza and and kind of sliding the Israelis and Overall, just continuing to contribute to the demise of our global positioning. And we'll do that as well. And I also want to get into a conversation on what's up with Joe Biden. Uh, At least once, twice, three times a week, we need to check in with somebody who's got their finger on the pulse uh, regarding Biden's criminality, alleged criminality, I should say. And uh, Alex Marlowe, he's the editor in chief at Breitbart News. 
He's written a new book called uh, Breaking Biden, Exposing the Hidden Forces and Secret Money Machine Behind Joe Biden, His Family and His Administration. And we're going to dig into that um, straight ahead as well. Plus your calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And before we get into the discussion on Biden, I wanted to uh, highlight something I mentioned just a few moments ago about the uh, House passing the aid bill for Israel Uh, with the IRS funding cuts and Speaker Johnson bringing more spending bills to the floor and and seeking um, what uh, they're saying is a position of strength with the Senate so that they can get these bills passed. And uh, we've got a little bit of audio from Speaker Johnson earlier today. Listen to this. Would you consider putting a bill on the floor that includes funding for Israel but does not have spending cuts, or is that a non-starter? No, listen, we we are in dire straits <laughs> as a nation, and if you talk to leaders at the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Pentagon, sometimes even in recent years under oath, they've testified before the House Armed Services Committee, where I served until uh, since last week. Um, if you ask them what the greatest threat is to our national security, you would expect, most people expect they'd say China, Russia, Iran, terrorism. They say it's the national debt. We have to address it. We, we have obligations and we have commitments and we want to protect our, our, and help and assist our friend uh, Israel. But we have to keep our own house in order as well. And I think people at home, I think the American people understand that. At home, you have to balance your budget. At home, you have to make tough decisions. And Washington should run the same way. And so we are here to change the environment, to change the paradigm, the way Washington thinks. If we continue on the trajectory we're on, it's going to hurt our country terribly. And it's going to hurt hardworking Americans even more, seniors and the rest. So we have to, while we take care of obligations, we've got to do it in a responsible manner. So I've made this very clear to the president, myself, in our in our cordial meeting that we had. I've made it very clear to our colleagues, House Republicans. I spoke at their, I mean, uh, Senate Republicans. I spoke at their luncheon yesterday. Um, I've, to every cabinet official I've spoken to all the way down the line that we're going to do this in a responsible manner. And that's Speaker Mike Johnson today at a press conference in the House did, in fact, uh, pass the Israeli aid bill, uh, which is now offset by IRS funding cuts. And uh, the Biden White House has already vetoed it or says that they're threatening to veto it. And uh, we'll see how that plays out. But the vote was 226 to 196, with 12 Democrats joining Republicans to pass it. Uh, I've got to say, Johnson should continue doing a victory lap here, saying that he's the most bipartisan guy out there with a dozen Democrats jumping on board and use that as leverage against Joe Biden. So I think he's he's definitely um, firing on all cylinders, hitting the ground running. Really, really um, great start, in my opinion. Now, with the bill that they uh, brought, 
by the House that they're going to bring to the Senate, the funding will be reallocated from money that was meant for the IRS in uh, President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, which we know El Baboso's Reduction Act didn't reduce anything. It actually contributed and added to inflation. And there were two Republicans that voted against the bill, Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia and Thomas Massey from Kentucky. Amongst the uh, Democrats who voted in favor of it are Josh Gottheimer from New Jersey, Jared Moskowitz from Florida, Jared Golden from Maine, Debbie Wasserman Schultz from Florida, and Lois Frankel from Florida. And now the Republicans obviously are celebrating the the bill's passage with um, everybody, you know, kind of just celebrating that it happened. And uh, one quote that's being reported here from uh, Gary Palmer from Alabama, he says, Israel has every right to defend itself from the brutal attacks we've been witnessing over the past month. And with this piece of legislation, uh, he says that Congress is helping an ally in need while also cutting funding from Joe Biden's weaponized IRS, saying that the funds are better used supporting Israel than being used by IRS agents to audit middle-class Americans. That I have to agree with. We don't need any more police state um, more than we have, right? We need to roll back what we do have. So that's um, that piece. Now, there's also the um, the piece on Speaker Johnson saying that, you know, this this puts us in a position of strength when you're able to pass these bills. And I, and I do agree that the House... Um, House Speaker has to have a position of strength in order to get things through the Senate so that if Biden does veto it, it's on Biden, not on everybody else. Um, and and it would be clear to the American people, I think, that, that that would be, in fact, the case. Now, yesterday, or maybe on Monday, Speaker Johnson said it's very likely Biden committed uh, impeachable offenses and that they were going to follow the facts where they went. And that's something I think that we need to continue to do. And somebody that's been doing that as well uh, is Alex Marlowe. He's the editor-in-chief of uh, Breitbart News, and he's got a brand-new book called Breaking Biden, Exposing the Hidden Forces and Secret Money Machine Behind Joe Biden, His Family, and His Administration. Alex Marlowe, welcome to the program, sir. It's so great to be here, and thank you so much for bearing with me. I had a minor child care emergency, but it has been resolved, and I appreciate your patience with me. Oh, you bet, brother. Let me tell you, my, my oldest daughter is 22 now, and uh, I've had a lot of those <laughs> through the years. Yeah, do, do, do they ever stop? I, I'm, no. I got my fingers crossed they do, but I figured they don't. Yeah, I mean, maybe you don't find a babysitter, but what you know, an old Italian woman once told me, she said, listen, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. And I, you know, I laugh at that, but it's true. And uh, I want to dig into your book uh, because I, I you. think that you, you um, obviously you have your finger on the pulse. You're dealing with news all day long and, you know, having the benefit of seeing this stuff, it's probably more top of mind for you than a lot of other people, because I think a lot of us hear about Joe Biden and his alleged criminality and all of this stuff that happens. But it's, you know, that's today's story. And then tomorrow, oh, he dropped the ball on the border. Oh, he dropped the ball on yeah. Israel. Oh, he's dropping. You know, so it's like we follow the latest scandal. Uh, but when I think when you're dealing with news on a daily basis, you go, well, you know, I remember two years ago when this happened or, you know, last year when he did this. Well, don't forget he did that. And, and I think, you know, that's what goes into an excellent book like the one you've written. So tell us a little bit about Breaking Biden. 
Thank you. It's a great introduction. And there's something that I thought is I'm a researcher by nature, and I love the fast-moving nature of the news cycle. Um, I think it's also important to really, as a journalist, to try to take it upon myself to do deep dives into things I think are uh, should be front of mind, but I'm not convinced they are to people. And as shocking as that is, I don't think people understand Joe Biden. I know I didn't when I took on this research project, which was probably about 15 months of research. And uh, I had a small team, all of whom had worked on number one bestsellers from Peter Schweitzer, who's a contributor at at Breitbart News and runs GAI and is, you know, the best in the business. And uh, we get numbed to Joe Biden because he falls upstairs. He confuses his wife and his sister. He is challenging 84-year-olds to push-up contests. And all of that makes you think he's not of sound mind and he's incompetent. But there really isn't what I found out. Uh, when That's I true. investigated him, yeah, he's he has a fastball. I'm not saying he's some sort of a genius. I'm not taking it that far. No, right. <laughs> but, but, yeah, but he, he has deals in um, half a dozen countries, over 20 deals I have documented in the book. And the the level that he's been incompetent – as a leader of the free world, has been very easy to measure and I think fairly known to your audience. But I think what people don't understand is that he's executing on an agenda that he has designed not just to carry it out for another five years, but then to pass it on. He thinks of himself as a dynastic figure. He actually thinks of himself as Mm. bigger than the presidency, as shocking as that is. And the intention was to pass the dynasty to Bo, who passed away of brain cancer. So uh, he's, he's really got his hands full in that regard. But his vision— He's just going to have to pass it to Hunter, Alex. Yeah, well, th- that was the vision. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a joke, but it's not. It, his vision was to—Bo would be president, and then Hunter would be his top advisor and speechwriter. And you start <laughs> seeing the ambition of this man is so stunning, and that's how he got where he is. And he's not going to ride off into the sunset. He's got the Democrat Party locked down. He will be the nominee unless some sort of catastrophic health emergency happens to him. And he's going to continue to do the damage he's done, if not worse, in his next term. And I don't think we're prepared for that as a movement, as the conservative movement. I don't think we're ready I, for it. I think, I think you're right. He's some joke. And Alex, I just want to weigh in and say that I think you're, you're right. I, I make fun of him and I call him Joe El Baboso Biden because he bumbles and stumbles his way through things. But the reality is he's a shrewd politician with a lot of muscle memory. Even if he's losing his wits, he still knows how to be a corrupt politician. And I want to get into the rest of your book straight ahead. Folks, we're on with Alex Marlowe, editor-in-chief at Breitbart News and author of the new book, Breaking Biden. Don't go anywhere. Alex Marlowe and me, Rich Valdez, we're coming right back. Don't move a muscle. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.
Uh, by the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations, Thank somebody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, <laughs> even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing. Are people listening, right? That's but right. But you're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Since assuming our Republican majority in January, the House Oversight and Accountability Committee has uncovered a mountain of evidence revealing how Joe Biden abused his public office for his family's financial gain. For years, President Biden has lied to the American people about his knowledge of and participation in his family's corrupt business schemes. At least 10 times, Joe Biden lied to the American people that he never spoke to his family about their business dealings. That's uh, Oversight Chairman James Comer, uh, Congressman James Comer, discussing the criminality of the Biden crime family. And folks, we're on with the editor-in-chief of Breitbart News, Alex Marlowe. He's the author of the brand new book, Breaking Biden, Exposing the Hidden Forces and Secret Money Machine Behind Joe Biden, His Family and His Administration. Alex Marlowe, we left off with your thoughts that Biden is not just a doting grandpa in the Oval Office, but uh, he's actually more shrewd than people think. And it seems like Comer's catching up to him. What say you? Yeah, I'm very happy with what I'm seeing so far. I'm uh, naturally optimistic, so maybe that is uh, you can grade me on a curve. Um, but I think that something Comer is doing is he's doing something that I can't do as an independent investigator, and he's actually getting some of the dollar figures associated with some of these deals. And I track all these deals, and you'll get a sense of most of the deals, if not all of them, if you read Breaking Biden. But I can't tell you exactly how much Hunter or Joe got from these deals because I don't have subpoena power, so I can't get the bank. I, right. I can't get the bank records. Um, Comer can. And that's what we're seeing trickle out. And I think that if this is the beginning of his strategy, I think it's very good. Uh, he's got to put his foot on the gas, and I think he's got to get all the Bidens to testify and explain what they did for all these companies, uh, particularly these overseas companies. Um, yeah, I got one in particular in mind where uh, Hunter sold one of his businesses or a big stake in one of his businesses to a Chinese shipping conglomerate called Costco, which is known as the Dragon Head by Xi Jinping. Mm -hmm. Due to, due to his strategic importance. We know Hunter cashed out on the deal, uh, but we also know he retains equity. I imagine he still got that equity, and he could be making a massive dollar figure from that. It could be a fortune uh, from a massive strategic company that is basically run by the Chinese government. Uh, I, I can't tell you how much Hunter is making from this company, but I bet it's something, and Comer can answer those questions, and so I'm excited. Uh, uh, me too. <laughs> if you're excited, you like it, I love it, right? Uh, I can't wait. Uh, I think some of the things that make me optimistic are I think you've got Comer doing a really good job at what he's doing. And I think um, Mike Johnson also has kind of um, hit the ground running. And, you know, his announcement earlier this week saying that he would uh, follow the facts where they go. And while it seems innocuous enough that, you know, it's a safe statement to make, I think it's also, uh, I, I believe him. I do believe that they're going to go for for an impeachment um, should they feel that they can pull it off in the House. And it seems like they can, because one thing I see Johnson able to do so far is he's able to get the votes he needs to get things done. Do you agree? 
Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm optimistic. I, I do think that Kevin McCarthy would have probably gone down a very similar road. I think we're not going to see a ton of difference in the way the House is run. That's my prediction. Um, but I also think that they're they're to something. I think they uh, see the opportunity here to finally hold the Biden family accountable and expose a lot of their corruption. And it's one of the reasons why I wrote Breaking Biden is because there are secrets that are still out there. And I try to reveal some of them, but the amount of Joe Biden's administration that has been either bought or sold to not just foreign entities, but domestic entities with massive agendas and huge bank accounts, uh, it's so numerous that we need to do everything we can to expose every inch of it. We can't tolerate it just because we've gotten accustomed to witnessing the Biden corruption. And, you know, this is I think that's an excellent point. I think that there's there is a a, a high degree, uh, at least with the American public, of of people that are, are becoming accustomed, as you just said, to Joe Biden doing that. And I think maybe in a more macro sense, I think there's a lot of people that are just accustomed to crooked politicians doing crooked things. And I wonder if that kind of um, crooked politician fatigue, if you will, um, yeah. either lends itself well or hurts this process because people are like, oh, it's just another crooked politician doing what crooked politicians do. Is that the sense that you get or do you feel that this has uh, more gravitas? Than that. No, I, I unfortunately feel like this is a real thing we're going to have to fight through, and there's a year to go until the election, but I do think that if the American public just feels as though there are two tiers of justice, and it's hard for me to argue there isn't, but if we accept that, then Joe Biden is going to win again, and mark my words, he's going to win again if we're not very careful, because it's not that he's doing so great. It's because he's built a machine where he has so many alliances, he has so much money at his disposal, and I expose exactly who it's coming from. And he's also got this massive community organizing operation behind him that's enshrined uh, what I call cheat by mail. It's this massive voter registration that's automatic, and it allows for other people to handle your ballots, and you can vote for nine days after the election, or at least turn in your ballots late. All that stuff makes it so that the Democrats are building a permanent majority. We've got a chance, maybe only one chance, to beat this guy, and we have to get very fired up to do it. We can't just coast into the election and think, oh, he's so terrible, there's no way he could win again. Trust me, he will win again if we're not careful. Yeah, I agree. And something that you kind of expose in the book is the the group of consultants that are running um, Washington for Biden – um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so this consultant class is really one of the most nefarious uh, entities in the United States because what's happened is all these people who we've all heard about lobbyists and none of us like lobbyists and you know they have a bad rep, but lobbyists have disclosures. So when lobbyists are getting deals. We all know all the deals. We know who's making money, exactly who they're getting it from. Uh, And what Biden world has figured out, and I have to admit the Republican establishment does similar stuff, they figured out that if you're a consultant, not a lobbyist, then your disclosures are very minimal. So then this means you can bag ungodly amounts of cash while you're waiting to go back into the government to make connections, and then you come back out of the government, and then you make more money. Uh, The the best example of this is Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State. Uh, Tony Blinken opened up a consultancy called West Exec. By the way, Blinken served in many Biden entities outside of politics, so he's uh, all over the place in terms of Biden world business deals. 
But his company, WestExec, has clients like Google and Boeing. So Boeing, I mean, you can't be Secretary of State without conflicts of interest if you're making money off of Boeing. Boeing has a, a vested interest economically in virtually every major country we deal with. And yet he's allowed to be Secretary of State, and we just accepted this. So his company, WestExec, has housed about a dozen and a half by Biden, Biden administration officials have worked there. And what they do is they broker deals between the U.S. government and these massive conglomerates, and they take a cut. So Blinken cashed out an eight-figure sum before he went into the State Department. And when he comes back out, he's just going to do that again. And so he's building connections in the State Department that he can use for his consultancy business. And his consultancy business, he is bagging cash so that he can go into the government and make more connections. It's so corrupt, and it's happening in plain sight. And for whatever reason, we're not outraged about it. I, I agree with you. And I think more people need to know about it to understand it so they can be outraged about it because it's, uh, it's out of control. And you're right, the consultant class, they're the ones that always end up winning, right? doesn't matter who loses. They always win. It's a fascinating, win. Uh, it's a fascinating situation. Alex Marlowe's with us. And uh, straight ahead, we're going to talk about uh, the book. And in the book, again, you, you highlight something uh, that I think is really interesting, and it's uh, your rationale as to why Kamala Harris was chosen as his VP. And you also blow the lid off of how Joe Biden sold America's intellectual property to communist China. So I want to dig into that as well straight ahead with Alex Marlowe, author of Breaking Biden, Exposing the Hidden Forces and Secret Money Machine Behind Joe Biden, His Family, and His Administration. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. We were talking to some Democratic donors, mm -hmm. and they have told us that should something befall President Biden, and he is not able to run, mm -hmm. that there would be a free-for-all for who would run as president. You are in the spot that that would be unnatural for you to step up, but we're hearing from donors that they would not naturally fall into line. Why is that? Well. First of all, I'm not going to engage in that hypothetical because Joe Biden is very much alive and running for re-election. So but you do are. know. I mean, that is a concern and, and a legitimate concern, I would say. I hear from a lot of different people a lot of different things. But let me just tell you, I'm focused on the job. I truly am. Our democracy is on the line, Bill. And I frankly, in my head do not have time for parlor games when we have a president who is running for re-election. Joe Biden's running for re-election. He's alive and well, says Kamala Harris, who I've nicknamed Vice President Kamala Eres. That means how bad she is in Spanish. And I want to get to the reasoning behind why she was picked. Of course, he said he was going to pick a, a black woman. He said that all along. 
Uh, but Alex Marlowe is editor-in-chief of Breitbart News and written the book Breaking Biden is with us. And Alex Marlowe, what's your take on why Kamala Harris was the person? Yeah, Kamala Harris was the perfect pick for Joe Biden to do what he had to do. And the obvious point is the one you made, which is that she's a BIPOC woman, which is the trendy expression for uh, black, indigenous, people of color. So, so that was – and the fact that she's that and a woman – was sort of already a no-brainer pick. But I, I don't think it was just that that he picked her for. Um, the main thing is she is a donor darling, which Joe Biden is not. Joe Biden is very good at building a political machine, finding people around him, giving them what they need to stick with him, keeping them around for decades, trying to cobble together coalitions of Democrats. He never crosses anyone who can help him get anything done. That's his pattern. And I think it is uh, certainly something that um, he, he, he's, he's got that market cornered, but he does not pull in the donors the way Kamala does. And she is the politician to represent not just Hollywood, but Silicon Valley out in California. So she's pulling in billionaires' dollars from two of the biggest industries on, on the left. So this is why – why would you pick someone from California? That's a sure state for him. No, it's to get her Rolodex and to get those donors to start opening up their checkbook, and I demonstrate in the book exactly how uh, much they do that, and they do. Uh, but it's even more than that. She's not that bright. So when I researched Joe Biden, I found he was probably a little sharper than I'd anticipated, and I never thought he was too dumb. Kamala Harris is the other way. I never thought she was too bright, and she comes off as dumber during my time researching her. <laughs> so it's just true. And, we, and we've seen the clips of her. She's always terrible in these interviews. She is not that sharp. And Joe knew this because his intention was to keep her from surpassing him. And he's done an incredible job at that because his approval is in the 30s. And you hear how she's talking. She knows for sure she's not going to pass him. She's got one of the worst slates of issues imaginable, and Joe did this by design. He gave her the border. She's a border state senator. She's no interest in the border. He gave her, he gave her AI. She knows nothing about AI. I don't even know if she knows how to spell AI. Maybe she's an AI herself. And you saw that uh, in the last 24 hours, Rich, he's put her in charge of Islamophobia. She's got no way out of fight Islamophobia. And not to mention, uh, why is he giving her that task now when it's Jews who are under attack around the world? So it's, he's given her a, just a complete garbage slate of issues. She'll never pass him, and she will keep bringing in the money. Joe has played this perfectly. Well put, Alex Marlowe. And I want you to let everybody know, how do they get a copy or two copies of your book, one for themselves and one to give away? That's so kind of you. Uh, anywhere is good. Amazon sells the most, so I'm fine with that, even though they're not a perfect company. Um, if you want to sign, if you want to sign book, you can go to Premier Collectibles. I'm happy to do that for anyone. Uh, but either of those two, Amazon, Premier Collectibles, best ways to do it. Uh, call a local bookstore and ask them to carry it. It's a New York Times bestseller, and uh, it should be in the front of the stores. And uh, I got a feeling it's not in most places. <laughs> well, let's let's uh, let's beat the odds, folks. If you're listening right now and we've got listeners across the country, make sure you get out and grab a copy or two copies of Alex Marlowe's book. The title again, Breaking Biden, Exposing the Hidden Forces and Secret Money Machine Behind Joe Biden, His Family and His Administration. Alex Marlowe, thanks for breaking it down. I appreciate it. You can learn all about how Biden sold out uh his family name and America's intellectual property and so much more in this great book. 
You are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I appreciate you staying up late to be with us. Richard, too kind. I'm happy to do it anytime. You bet. All right, folks, there is more to come with your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back, and uh, we're going to let you guys weigh in on what you think is going on. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Don, Jamestown, New York. Go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Oh, my God. Thank you, Rich, for letting me come on. I cannot believe the corruption. It started way back with Bush, but what Biden did with little Biden in China and it, it, and it just does not stop. Now, what what rubs you the wrong way about, I mean, there's so many things. There's the, the money deals with all these foreign countries. There's the preferential treatment given to his son. There's uh, obviously his dereliction of duty at the border. Um, where do you where do you land on what's the worst thing that Biden's done? We start with Biden, and we go with Fauci, and then we go with the drug companies over there in China. Everything that little Hunter did with China, let's get the big guy elected. And then we got this false election because we got mail-in down, but then we kill all these people by putting this virus out there. We sent that in the air across the world. Yeah. Yep. It is, uh, I mean, that's a great place to start. Uh, but that one, you know, kind of happened uh, in, in the last administration with the with the virus and whatnot. And I think the cover-up is probably, uh, you know, just as bad as the crime in this situation. And we had the uh, the CIA people changing their minds, saying, no, we thought it was, a, uh, it was a, a lab leak. And then they decided to change their mind. With uh, respect to what we heard from uh, Alex Marlowe about, about all these different deals, do you think it's going to make a difference uh, ultimately uh, for, for Biden with this next election? Do you think this stuff sticks or does he talk his way out of it? The only thing that's going to make a difference if the FBI gets their ass out of, you know, I can't say that word. If the FBI, like, actually does something, the CIA does something, but do they control the whole entire world, the government? Are you asking me or telling me? I'm not sure. I'm asking. Yeah. Well, Don, I think uh, I, I agree with you. The, the police state FBI needs to be handled. And you're right. As long as that's there. There's going to be a lot of problems, whether it's the uh, mail-in ballots or anything else. The, the the police state has a lot to do with what's going on. Uh, I, I get your point on that one. Folks, we're coming right back. We're going to continue our discussion on Biden, the economy, and more. Don't go anywhere. 
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program. It's Thursday night, and our phone number, if you want to join us, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And I uh, mentioned earlier a couple of headlines. Uh, Sam, Sam, I was going to say sand. That's what I was thinking of the sand in Palm Beach. Sam Bankman-Fried uh, was found guilty on all counts. And uh, that's an interesting story. I uh, thought he was going to walk away, and then they said he did uh, all of the other criminality with his, um, you know, funding the Democrats and then um, campaign donation violations, and then they said he didn't, then they said he did, and now he's been found guilty on all charges. Uh, plus, uh, the House of Representatives today passed an Israel bill that cut um, a chunk of money out of the IRS funding in order to fund the aid to Israel, uh, and that was a, a vote of 226 to 196. Uh, I think that sounds like a win to me. Uh, we also have the mayors of New York City and four other blue Democrat sanctuary cities saying they need a quote-unquote urgent meeting with President Biden over the influx of illegal immigrants coming into their cities. And uh, I guess when, when their city becomes a, a border city, then it's a big deal. Up until then, it was fine being a sanctuary city. It's always good to be very liberal and progressive uh, until you actually have to start paying for it. And it looks like they don't want to pay for it. Now they got their hands out saying we need funding. We don't have the capacity, yada, yada, yada. So that never ceases to um, amuse me and uh, uh, disappoint me at the same time. And I also want to look at a couple of things here. Uh, McDonald's has a bunch of new prices and... I think that has a lot to do with Bidenomics. Uh, there's a piece in the New York Post that says, according to the latest um, pricing chart that they've seen, uh, this has everything to do with Biden's terrible economic policies. And some people are saying that a Big Mac extra value meal will run you 18 bucks. The iconic burger and fries and soda combo, once a staple for Americans of every socioeconomic stripe, now costs almost 20 smackers in some locations. That's according to the New York Post. But that's really indicative of everything that we see going on. And, and this is why I like to get into these conversations with the folks that know. Uh, because, you know, recently somebody was on this program saying that, well, you know, inflation has fallen uh, every month for the last X amount of months. And, hey, listen. I'm glad it's falling. Uh, I also know that interest rates have gone up, not every month, but they've gone up plenty. And I don't see anybody securing a one and a half, two percent mortgage like they were, you know, even a year and a half ago. Uh, so I think there's a lot to be said about inflation, A, measuring it accurately, and B, taking into account that, you know, even if it's going down, it's still down from a 43-year high. So how much are we really, you know, say? I think when people say... Um, 
we're at 3.7% or whatever the number is. Ultimately, you've got to ask yourself, what was it at, you know, at the end of the Trump years? And why do we compare it to that? Well, because I think more people were going on more vacation, spending money. They were doing things uh, as opposed to now where they're not doing as many things. I was out yesterday uh, in Florida and I went to a restaurant and it was a very busy strip. Reminded me of Hoboken, New Jersey, but it was in West Palm Beach. And voila, a bunch of nice restaurants, most of them um, not very well attended. Maybe because it was a Wednesday night, but I think ideally because people just don't have the disposable income to eat out as much as they used to. And that's just my take on this because of inflation. But I want to get to uh, the bottom of it with uh, E.J. Anthony because he's the uh, research fellow and uh, public finance economist at the Heritage Foundation. And he just is an expert on this stuff. He knows it inside and out. And he's got a piece where he discusses the never-ending inflation and that's Bidenomics in action. And I want to hear more about it. EJ, welcome back, sir. Rich, thank you for having me back. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Uh, it honestly is. I always uh, appreciate your analysis because you kind of tell us the story in between the lines. You know, it's kind of like uh, having a good friend that's an economist. And then when people blow smoke up, you know what? You could say, well, hold on a second. That's not really this way. And, that, and I think that's what the American people deserve. So when you hear about McDonald's prices going up to nearly 18 bucks, but yet Biden and every last advisor he's got and, and surrogate out there, uh, even some that are critical of him saying, well, we got to give the president his due with uh, this coming down. And look, I want the economy to do well. So I want to also give a great report on Joe Biden. I just know that I'm still spending a lot of money to fill up my gas tank. I'm still spending a lot more money when I go buy groceries. And I'm still spending a lot more money on just about everything. Uh, compared to just a couple of years ago. And that doesn't seem like 3.7% uh, inflation to me. Right, exactly, Rich. You bring up such a great point because you know the, the Big Mac actually encompasses a lot more than we realize. You know, it, it's not just beef. Uh, it's not just bread. It's not just lettuce. So, But even just those things right there, you have a, a big variety in terms of foodstuffs. But it also includes things like transportation and warehousing costs. It includes mm. labor. It includes refrigeration. It includes uh, uh, fuels for cooking, etc. So you actually get an incredibly good scope in terms of prices when you look at the price of the Big Mac. And what you find is that prices are up way more than the official headline index when you look at something like the Big Mac. In fact, it, it, the Big Mac has so many different inputs to it. We really don't appreciate it, but it does so much so that there is actually a separate inflation index, believe it or not, called the Big Mac index. And people wow. have been following that for years now, way before Biden ever came into office. People have been following that as a way to try to get a better glimpse of what's really going on with prices as opposed to something like the, the official number of the Consumer Price Index. But to your point, Rich, yes, you're absolutely right that as that headline inflation number comes down, and even though it's, it's under 4% now, people are still scratching their heads saying, why can't I afford anything? It's because prices are still going up. They're just not going up quite as fast as before, but you still are demonstrably poorer than you were in January of 2021 because your wages still have not caught up with prices. In fact, the last couple of months, you have seen prices go, even though prices are not rising very fast, prices are still rising faster than earnings. Now, 
this is obviously problematic for every single American out there, because even if you get a raise, um, if your wages aren't outpacing inflation, you know, your percentage of increase, whatever it is, cost of living or something meritorious, whatever the case is, it, you're still behind the eight ball. What, what's how do we get that to re- reverse, I guess? Well, the only way you're going to stop the inflation is if you stop doing what caused it. And that's the government spending, borrowing and printing too much money. Unfortunately, there is just no sign that this administration is going to let off the gas in terms of uh, spending and borrowing. We just got numbers out of the Treasury. I mean, if you thought the $1.7 trillion in borrowing in the last fiscal year was bad, Treasury just the other day announced they are going to borrow $1.6 trillion, not in the current fiscal year, just in the first half of the fiscal year. So we have almost doubled the deficit. We're borrowing $1.6 trillion in six months instead of $1.7 trillion in 12 months. This is insane. I, I'm not sure that anyone in this administration really appreciates just how fast this thing is spiraling out of control. We are already spending an annualized $1 trillion just to service the debt, and it's going up daily. Now, that that's something I wanted to ask you, because I know uh, the last uh, the last uh, report that I heard on that we we were it was a trillion or closer to two trillion that we were using just to pay the interest on the debt. Um, this seems to me very very problematic and almost like a problem that, uh, at least for me, if uh, it seems like it's an unending problem that's not solvable given the current circumstances. And I think you, you kind of alluded to that with, if we continue spending, there's no way to get your arms around this. But um, I guess what's the point of diminishing returns where we really kind of break ourselves if we, we don't um, rein things in? Oh, goodness. You know, it's a really good question. And it's difficult to answer because that, that point of no return has proven different for different countries at different periods in time around the world. So there's no magic number where we can say, oh, once you hit this percentage of debt to GDP or once the the cost of servicing your debt is this percentage of income, there is no magic number. So all we can say is that we are heading in the wrong direction and very, very quickly. And it is true that at some point you you do get to uh, you do get to the point, Rich, where your momentum is just going to take you over the falls. And and uh, frankly, I hope and pray that we are not there yet. I think we still have time, but you just don't know how much time. And again, that's why it's so imperative that we have to start correcting course now. Yeah. Now, what's your uh, I guess your gut reaction to? the being under 4%, this 3.7%, um, that prices, prices have risen about 3.7% over the last year, even though our, our inflation is down around that same number. Um, if prices are still going, and I guess this is the hard part for me and for everybody else out there, uh, if it's coming down, why are prices going up? It's just a great, great question. And a lot of people get this confused because, you know, the talking points out of this White House, for example, say, hey, inflation is coming down. That's great news. And we're working hard to continue lowering prices. Wait, 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 wait. Inflation is not the same thing as prices. Inflation is how fast prices are going up. 
So when the White House says we are working hard to continue lowering prices, that's a fallacy. They haven't even started lowering prices. They have just lowered the I haven't the seen rate. any prices go down. <laughs> prices are rising. Right, exactly, exactly. You know, Rich, it's like saying, you know, I am slowing down the car I'm driving. But that's very different from saying it's going backwards. The car is still going <laughs> forwards. It's just going forwards at, at 80 miles an hour instead of 100 miles an hour. That doesn't mean you're going backwards. I mean, give me a break. So th- there's so much. There's so many times when the words are thrown around for political purposes, and so I think that really muddles their meaning. Yeah, great point, uh, EJ Anthony. Hang on with us. I want to come back with you and uh, talk a little bit about home prices. And folks, again, our phone number eight three three four eight two five three three seven eight three three four Valdez. This is America night with rich valdez this is america at night with rich valdez all right america welcome back and Home prices, they they don't seem to be going down anytime soon. Plus, it's even harder to get a mortgage than it's ever been. And um, E.J. Antoni has this piece uh, from American Dream to American Nightmare. Uh, welcome back, E.J. Antoni. Help us understand this uh, this latest with home prices. Certainly, Rich. I mean, we used to always think of, of home ownership as the American dream, and for a very long time, it was. And, and what we saw right before Joe Biden was a period of not record home ownership, but a, a period that was historically more affordable in terms of the median income. In other words, the average American family, the typical American being able to own their own home. And what we've seen under Joe Biden has been exactly the opposite. And it's a combination of inflation, which has just driven home prices through the roof, and also the, the disastrous low interest rate policy of the Federal Reserve, which has affected uh, not just prices everywhere, but in particular the prices of things that you borrow to buy. So we're talking about large ticket items, whether that's big appliances or, or uh, cars and trucks, and most especially homes, because almost everybody borrows to buy their home. And so when borrowing became cheap, you could take out bigger and bigger mortgages. And because there was almost no interest charge, it really didn't push your monthly payment up that much. And so home prices went up even further on top of the inflation. But now, from all that inflation, we've, we've seen historic uh, interest rate hikes, and that has completely turned the tables on the housing market. So now not only are homes expensive, but interest rates are high. They're the highest in over 20 years uh, in terms of mortgage rates. And so now you not only are dealing with a high uh, home price, but high interest rate, that combination is deadly. It has pushed prices up so high that it takes uh, the the median income, it, it takes almost half of that to be able to actually afford the median priced home. In other words, home ownership is completely out of reach right now for the average American. Yeah, this is um, this is an issue. And, and I think it's a, a big part of it is as that has happened, that's also pushed up the, the cost of uh, of what people pay in rent. 
And if you're paying more in rent, then obviously you're not able to save as much to go ahead and buy that first home. And I know the other day there was uh, some news that uh, I think it was September was was a better than usual month for home sales. But do you think that's a trend that could continue given the limited inventory? Oh, it's certainly absolutely right. So there's no doubt about it. And, you know, in terms of that limited inventory, we we have a couple of things that are that are really creating very big problem. On the one hand, you have all these people who got mortgages at one or two percent interest rates, and now they can't sell their homes because if they do, they're going to be (laughs) right. You're going to trade in a one or two percent mortgage for a seven or eight percent mortgage. Or, you know, you have some of these people when I ran the numbers on this. You have plenty of of people in the situation where their monthly mortgage payment would literally double if they bought the same house. I mean, it's lunacy. It's what we call golden handcuffs. You're stuck. But then on the other hand, that's existing homes, right? What about new homes? For new homes, home builders today are facing prices that are almost at their record high. So home builders don't have any margins with which they can lower prices. If, if there's not enough demand, they're simply just not building the homes. And so you have this huge shrink in supply, both for existing homes and now also for new homes. You put that together and the whole market is just grinding to a halt. It has gotten so bad, Rich. Now, you have to understand that you know, right before this, when interest rates were so low, a lot of people decided to become realtors. There was a huge surge in the number of realtors. But now it has gotten so bad in terms of how many homes are for sale that there are there are fewer than two homes available to sell for every realtor. The, the average realtor today is going to sell less than two homes in a year. I mean, that certainly sounds like a bubble, in at least in realtors, if not the whole housing market. Man, not good, no bueno. Now, EJ Antoni, let everybody know how they could uh, learn more about the work you're doing, how they could follow you and keep up to speed with um, the different uh, research that you're putting out. Oh, the best place to find me uh, is going to be on Twitter or X, whatever we call it now. And the Mm -hmm. handle there is at Real EJ Antoni. All right, folks, give him a follow at Real EJ Antoni on Twitter, uh, who some call X. And uh, you could always catch him here as well. We try to bring him on as often as possible to get our economic updates. Uh, EJ Antoni, I want to thank you again. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. And it's always, uh, it's always a good time having a chat with you, sir. Uh, Richard, too kind. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. America, welcome back. Do you remember when Hollywood activist Jane Fonda um, said that the uh, coronavirus was God's gift to the left? That was back in October of 2020. This is according to a piece in the New York Post. And at the height of the lockdowns, schools were closed and the country was, you know, spinning out of control from the BLM, Antifa riots that happened over the summer of love following uh, the 
the killing of uh, George Floyd. And nobody was celebrating, but clearly Jane Fonda, who many know as Hanoi Jane, she knew something that most Americans really didn't pick up on at the time. And that's that the communists do things in a very particular way. And it's usually those that have kind of escaped communism that are able to see this in a, in a manner that, that most, most of us who haven't experienced that wouldn't know, wouldn't see, wouldn't feel, right? So there's a, a new book by C. Van Fleet is her name. And while we were sleeping back in 2020, America went through a cultural revolution. And this is according to a conversation that uh, Miss Van Fleet had with um, Miranda Devine from the New York Post. And the way they paint this picture here is that the cultural revolution that America went through, uh, at least according to her, was instantly recognizable because she had escaped totalitarianism in China. And she'd lived through some of the, 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 the reign, the reign of terror of Mao Zedong when she was a little girl. So in her book, Mao's America, she's, you know, literally sounding the alarm on what is imperiling our nation. And I think there's so many of us that, that kind of look at this and talk about it and research it but we never really, we never really um, know it, right? Because you don't know what you don't know. And it oftentimes takes someone who's experienced it to be able to teach you and, and to help you understand. So she, um, C. Van Fleet uh, is a mom from Virginia, and she got some national notoriety when she had a, a one-minute speech to the Loudoun County School Board uh, that warned that critical race theory and, you know, and similar woke ideology was being shoved down kids' throats. And, and this, um, it echoed Mao Zedong's cultural revolution in China. And this is something she witnessed in her youth. Now, her kids were grown and and she you know she she was shy about doing that um but she felt a duty a responsibility to to warn the country that she's adopted she says she's an american by choice because she sees what happened in her homeland happening here in ours and uh, and again that's a quote from her um Chinese by birth, American by choice. Uh, and this is something she says as a survivor of Mao Zedong's cultural revolution in China. So this is why she defends liberty. And it's, it's how she kind of describes her whole position, having been in the United States since 1996. So I, I bring all of this up because we, we are continuing, in my opinion, to see how the police state, how corrupt administrations, corrupt politicians are influencing 
the balance of power in America towards an elite ruling class, you know, the deep state, the government class, the uh, administrative state, bureaucracy, whatever you want to call it. But they're the ones that are being empowered by what's going on. And it's we the people that seem to be emasculated, that seem to be weakened every step of the way. And in in my uh, best estimation, I think it's so important for us to do as Reagan called us to do, to be informed patriots, right? And this is why I try to use the longest segments I can on radio. I try to bring in guests that are able to stick around for more than one segment so that we could really dig into a topic and, and kind of really harness the best of their expertise, as well as, you know, boning up on whatever I can and whatever we can collectively as we learn more. Because without that, you know, like the old saying, and if you listen to my podcast, This Is America with Rich Valdez, um, I often end it um, admonishing the listeners that if we stand for nothing, we'll fall for anything. And that's a quote attributed to many, um, not the least of which are some of the um, folks that informed the founding of our nation, like uh, John Locke and others. So I wanted to put that out there as a little food for thought because there seems to be such a a push to change things in the United States, such a push toward, I don't want to say totalitarianism, but toward a police state, towards um, giving more power than there ought to be to the state. And ultimately, I can't think of a, of a situation ever where the state having the maximum power is the best situation for the people. I just can't. Maybe some will say, oh, well, you know, during COVID, the state said to do this and that. That that may or may not have saved lives. But what I do know is that it it stopped churches from being able to, to have song on, on certain uh, in certain places in California. They said the choir couldn't sing anymore. And this is, in my opinion, bad, bad stuff. Right. When you start kind of giving up your religious liberty, um, that that's a bad place to be. So I want to get your thoughts on that and more straight ahead. Let me give you the phone number. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833 833- for Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. 
All right, America, welcome back. And uh, we're going to open up the phone lines to get your responses to everything we've talked about tonight from the economy to uh, the cultural revolution uh, to everything else that we discussed in the, at the top of the hour with Biden's criminality as well. And anything you want to bring to the table. And of course, um, Open Phone America will continue straight ahead at the top of the hour. Uh, but let's um, let's go to Dave Lushton, Nebraska, listening on KRVN. Go right ahead, Dave. Hi, Rick. I missed your uh, guest, but could you tell me how much the the Fed is carrying of our national debt? I'm not sure I understand the question. Uh, you, are you saying the overall number is $33 trillion. Is that what you're asking? But how much of that is being carried by, is not backed up with currency, with foreign currency? How much is, is uh, Fed written? I'm not sure how much is uh, uh, underwritten with foreign currency. I, I mean, there there's a large part of the debt, you know, is obviously um, uh, diversified. I don't have the answer on how much that is, but what's, let's say it's 20%. What's the, the genesis of your question? Well, we're printing money that's worth it. Yeah, well, yeah, we've been doing that since we eliminated the gold standard. And I think that's a, a solid point. Um, and again, I, it doesn't have much to do with who's holding our debt and, and you know the nature of that, but it has everything to do with what we're we're basing it on. And I agree with you. Listen, I would love a system where we were backed uh, by by gold and, and relied on on a on a gold standard where we were tied to the price of gold, because I think it's a lot more safe. And and you back up what you have. Uh, lamentably, what we what we have now is a, a system where we print as much money as we want to. And we seemingly get into problems when uh, we print more what they uh, Barack Obama fancily claimed uh, uh, or dubbed, I should say, uh, quantitative easing. Right. And it didn't really there wasn't any quantitative easing. It was really just adding to inflation, creating uh, more money in a situation where we, we should have probably just waited. And this, of course, takes the value of the money and, and reduces it. And it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's not a great place to be. And now here we are jacking up interest rates when we had some of the best interest rates we'd seen in forever, because that was directly tied to how aggressive the home market was going to be, uh, or was, I should say. And, and here we are. So, uh, we'll definitely work on getting an answer as to how much, uh, of our debt is, is foreign. But the bottom line, I think about what you said is that it's key that we uh, we have a gold standard and that we stop uh, just printing money. I'm with you all day long on that one, Dave. Appreciate the call from Nebraska. Uh, let's see. Let's continue on WOND. Denise calling from Egg Harbor Township, New Jersey. Denise, go right ahead. Welcome. Um, yeah, um, I just want to mention that um, I'm pretty observant. Um, I've been in the military. I was in the military for a number of years, and so my thank you my, for your uh, service. Oh yeah, it's no no problem. I loved it. 
um, my antennas are always up in a sense. Um, I was watching, I, I'm, I'm between Egg Harbor Township and Ridgefield, New Jersey. So I'm back and forth. And yeah, um, I, yeah I think you've called before and I remember uh, you telling me that. And uh, mm-hmm. I, my, my home is in Ridgefield Park. So we're sort of oh, neighbors. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not not too far. My son's a, a fireman in Richfield Park, Richfield and Palisade Park. Oh, look so, at that. Um yeah, he he loves it. But the bottom line is, um I'm up there watching T V with his kids, a three year old and a one year old, a two year old. Mm. And um there's a show called Sasha and the Bear and it's by Universal Studios and it's obvious it has something to do with Russia and they were having a birthday party and the birthday presents had all Chinese uh, characters on the birthday presents. And I said to myself, what the hell is this? And everybody knows that the bear is the symbol for Russia. And, um, you know, so, I mean, there's nothing I can do about that personally, but, um, you can, you can tell your grandkids to watch something else. Oh no, I I cut it off immediately. Um, because there's no point in, uh, having them uh, be subliminalized by some stupid crap. Um, Bottom line is um, I'm on Facebook and I'm on the Fort Lee page and I'm on the, um, because I'm from Fort Lee, Fort Lee page and the Atlantic City page. And there's a woman in Fort Lee, and I'm a very respectful person, very respectful. I go on the Fort Lee page and there's a woman teaching beginner Chinese. So I'm thinking, why does anybody in their right mind need or want to speak Chinese. So respectfully, I posted on her page. Um, let me ask you a question. I, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I'm just a burning question. Why are you teaching Chinese? Maybe it w- this is exactly what I put. Maybe it would be better for you personally to hone in on your English skills and be more mm-hmm. proficient in reading, writing, and um, uh, being more proficient in English um, than teaching Chinese because I don't think it's useful. And that's what I put on Facebook. So she doesn't respond and she puts her page up and she's got like a little picture of a dog. So the dog is going to like, you know, attract people because people like pets. And I went, and so I did it every time she puts it on, I ask her the same question. I guess you don't um, understand English too well because you're not answering my question, but I I don't understand it. And so that's my way of speaking out. Yeah, and you should continue doing that. And and listen, um, here's my thought on that. I believe that the Chinese teach their students English. And most places, most foreign countries, uh, I think, also uh, have put a a value on having children that are bilingual, that speak whatever language from their home country and and speak English as well. Uh, However, I'll say I think there's equal value in being an American and speaking any foreign language, as many of them as you can. Number one, because a lot of places around the world, um, that's how they're raised. They're raised speaking multiple languages. Now, I, I see the concern where we, you know, we could have uh, the Chinese, they're already, they've been indoctrinating our schools for many years, and the, uh, our college campuses, and, and now more. And I could see, you know, wanting to put a, a pause on that, saying, hold on a second. We want to make sure we're doing the right thing. However, I will say, I think they're our biggest enemy, uh, China, or at least our biggest adversary. And it, it wouldn't hurt to learn how to speak their language as well. Uh, I, and just for the sake of 
you know, if they know how to speak English, then we should know how to speak Chinese and we shouldn't limit ourselves. But I do agree that when you, if the teachers of these foreign languages, um, don't, don't really embrace, um, what you believe and, you know, by way of teaching you this language, they're also teaching you how great Mao Zedong was, or, you know, even worse, how great he is, um, you know, or, or any other despot from history, then I think we've got a problem. So that's my take on that, Denise. Thank you for the call, my neighbor. I always good to hear from you. Folks, we're going to get to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back, and uh, we continue with your calls. Let's go to uh, Harry, KRMS, Camden, Missouri. Go ahead. Good evening, Mr. Valdez. How are you, sir? Uh, I am doing fine. Uh, about a year or more ago, I started screaming, not screaming, literally, but yeah. uh, talking to people about, you know, our southern border and all the gotaways. And I said time and time again, I says, they're here. Me, and they'd say, what? I says, the terrorists are already here. But it isn't until the last couple of weeks did I hear much of anything on the, uh, especially on Fox, who reports everything, uh, that uh, they're starting to make an issue out of it. Now, what takes them so long to realize that they're right. here? Well, you know, uh, this is a, a good point. And I, I'm one of those people that for years I've heard of this and I've said, look, I think there's always going to be terrorists here. They don't all have to be coming through the southern border. But I think the the videos there it used to be women and children coming, you know, give me your tired, you're poor. And now you've got, you know, 150 guys from China coming, a bunch of guys from northern Africa. This looks like there's a war about to go down. Thanks, Harry. Coming right back. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. 
Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I want to welcome you to the uh, Thursday night uh, edition of the program, hour number three. This is the one we call Open Phone America. This is a time-honored tradition that goes back to the days of Larry King hosting this program back in 1978, continued by Jim Bohannon for 30 years after that. And here we are, you and I tonight, continuing that tradition. 833-482-5337 is the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. If you want to join the conversation or you get at me at Rich Valdez on any of the uh, social media that you use. And I'm happy to take a look at those and uh, get back to you whenever I can, uh, which is usually within a day or two. I try to keep in touch with uh, both the critics and the fans because that's what we do here, right? We're having a conversation. Not everybody's going to like that conversation, but we're going to have it nonetheless. And uh, earlier we spoke about what's going on in Washington uh, today. Mike Johnson uh, was out there um, and he had a lot to say. He was, you know, discussing a number of things earlier today. He talked about how he would not consider a bill uh, that would fund aid to Israel that didn't include federal federal uh, spending cuts. And they did, in fact, pass a bill today with cuts to the IRS in a in a vote that passed and they feel could uh, present well with the Senate, even though Biden says, I will veto that bill. So let's see what happens. Um, will Biden, uh, Biden really veto a Ukraine aid bill? I think he might uh, for sure, but uh, the optics may not be in his favor. So he might not. We'll see. But Mike Johnson also um, uh, discussed Joe Biden's apparent desire to have a ceasefire in Israel. Listen to this. And now, as Israel begins the next phase of its war, it's been kind of disturbing to us. I've heard Democrats uh, suggest that there needs to be a ceasefire. Let us be clear. We've been very clear about this. There was a ceasefire. It was before October 7th, and Hamas broke it, and Israelis suffered unspeakable acts of evil, as you've heard even recounted here this morning. Israel doesn't need a ceasefire. It needs its allies to cease with the politics and deliver support now. And that's what we're doing. House Republicans plan to do that. We're going to do it in short order, and it provides Israel the aid it needs to defend itself, free its hostages, and eradicate Hamas, which is a mission that must be accomplished. All of this, all of this, while we also work to ensure responsible spending and reduce the size of the federal government to pay for that commitment to our friend and ally. We cannot waste any time getting Israel the aid it needs. We're going to work on that. And... Again, Joe Biden was on the campaign trail today in, uh, let's see, is this Minnesota? And he says, uh, in Minneapolis, where he says that uh, after a heckler urges him to call for a ceasefire, uh, he says, I think we need a pause. He said, uh, replying that it would allow for hostages to get out. Meanwhile, Egypt has opened its doors and, al- and allowed people to leave Gaza, amongst them 400 Americans. Uh, that were released into Egypt today. So um, maybe that's what's going on. Uh, We're getting Americans out, trying to get uh, some more hostages out so that the IDF can go in and continue to root out Hamas. Uh, And that would be a good idea. I think they have to be destroyed. Uh, But there was um, an unconfirmed number. Some say uh, uh, 400. Others are reporting, BBC News amongst them that there's another 400 that are on uh, a list to leave as well. So it seems like things are going in the right direction slowly. 
and uh, the IDF is is advancing and doing a lot of uh, kind of one-on-one, door-to-door uh, type of fighting to get to the right people to make sure they're only hurting and um, wounding and eliminating enemy combatants, not, you know, your everyday run-of-the-mill Tom, Dick, and Harry in Gaza. So let's go to the phones and see what you guys think about this stuff. Um, let's see. Let's go to Justin calling from Manchester, New Hampshire. Justin, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Rich, thank you so much. Um, it, it, you know, it's always a pleasure every time I have a chance to speak with you. Um, I always, Likewise. always feel really uh, very. Thank you so much. <laughs> I always feel really lucky that I'm able to, you know, get on and speak with you. I mean, you you give a voice to us, Rich. To you know, to we the people, um, those thank of us you. who are patriots like yourself, and you know, those of us who love this country, and you know, and we and we want to do everything we can to sa- to save our country. And, and you, you know, I got to fight for it, right? Very much. You got to fight for the country. I think. Absolutely, you have to. I mean, I mean, we're I mean, we're still fighting for our freedom. I mean, it's always been that way, and we're still we're still fighting for it today. Um, I am uh, I am very impressed with uh, Speaker Johnson. Uh, so far, he's been a man of his word, Rich, and uh, I'm really impressed. Hard to find in Washington, to... right? Oh man, it's boy, it's it's rare. It, it's extremely rare, especially these days. And uh, I'm I'm just really you know glad that he was able to get enough support for the standalone bill. And uh, you know, I agree with him. Um, you know, I mean, we've we've done more than enough for Ukraine. It's it's time for someone else to help them. And I I, I think that Israel needs our our help a lot more than anyone else. Um, those those murderers and rapists who attacked Israel came into Israel's country on their territory. They need to be wiped off the face of the earth. Um, and Hezbollah as well. I mean, any terrorists they need to be taken out. And uh, yeah, I'm just really impressed that he was able to get enough uh, support. There was one thing that I I wish he had said in his acceptance speech when he was voted in. Though, Rich, um, this is what I would have said if I was voted in. I would have addressed the House and said, <clears throat> America's policy has always been to never negotiate with terrorists. My policy is to not negotiate with communists. And those of you, those of you in the House and the Senate know who you are. I wish he had said that. What do you think, Rich? Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it, uh, at least terrorist sympathizers. And and that's really what, what it comes down to. And I think that's your job and my job, uh, our job collectively, is to call out those that are s- sympathetic to terrorism, sympathetic to Marxism as more than just uh, a political philosophy, but uh, the precursor or the founding ideology that that fuels communism. And, uh, you know, back in the days of, of McCarthy and people saying, you know, this is out of hand. This guy's never seen a communist uh, or never seen a Bush without thinking there was a communist hiding behind it. Uh, I'm not too far off uh, on that level of crazy. I have to admit, uh, I think there's a lot of people out there that wouldn't call themselves communists, but are. Or at least, again, very sympathetic to uh, communist ideals. And these things are bad. They're just they're not good for America. They're very inconsistent with uh, what I think the American experiment stands for and was founded to be. And I understand that just because I disagree with that and I think it's a bad thing, that it doesn't mean that they don't have a right to think that or discuss that or even promote that. Right. I mean, uh, I sit here and I promote liberty every day and I promote the Constitution and I I promote what I, I think that this country was founded for. And my hope is that we won't lose our roots and and uh, our way. However, that doesn't mean that they don't have a chance to do the same. 
And ultimately, it comes down to, again, fighting for this country, fighting uh, in the court of public opinion, uh, fighting wherever you can. And I mean fighting, you know, figuratively, uh, but again, physically as well. You know, that's why so many people sign up for our military. If people um, feel the, the need to serve, many of them do, and they're willing to put their lives on the line for their service to this country. So uh, I have nothing but respect for that. And in the same way, I have uh, I have to respect and tolerate those that disagree with me and you and everybody else that might be listening. And and that's why it's so important that we we have these dialogues and call people out for what they are, who they are, what they stand for and what they say. Otherwise, um, we're not going to get anywhere. But thank you, Justin. I appreciate the call and your kind words and your faithful listenership to the program and folks, stick with me. We're going to continue straight ahead uh, with calls from South Carolina, North Carolina, Idaho, Michigan, and more coming in. Uh, the phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833 482 She's a University of Pennsylvania student at a pro-Hamas rally, and she refers to Hamas as terrorists, uh, not as terrorists. Uh, she refers to the Hamas terrorists as freedom fighters, and she calls the October 7th attack glorious, joyful, and powerful, and saying she was so happy. And, you know, this is fascinating that they're willing to commit a genocide against the Jews in the name of what they claim is a genocide, uh, when the real genocide, I think, is being perpetrated by them. And it, it's just uh, interesting, really, to, to see how that plays out. Very hateful, very vile. Um, sounds a lot like Ilhan Omar, right, when she talks, uh, in terms of her cadence, not necessarily her rhetoric, although I doubt they're, um, they're too far off in that department either. And, you know, I would say shocking, but it's not. Disappointing, yes. Surprising, no. That's just uh, the reality of it. Uh, let us go to uh, Kim Shields, Michigan, listening on KDKA. Go right ahead. Thanks, Rich. Um, I want to talk about um, Mike Johnson first and then about Israel. I'm so proud of Mike Johnson. He did what conservatives want. He he 
brokered a deal that there would be money to Israel and uh, offset it by a, by cutting the IRS army that Biden wanted so bad. And the House was going to go along with it. The Senate would go along with it. And Biden said he would veto it if only Israel was in there at, in getting money and not Ukraine. And he's only doing that because um, Israel didn't grease his palm like um Ukraine and China and Russia, Biden's all in it for the money for him and his family. And and another thing I want to reiterate, Israel needs to do whatever they have to do to wipe out Hamas. They have to um, pulverize. Well, first they have to clear Gaza. Then they have to pulverize the tunnel system with the bunker buster bombs. And um, after all, uh, I don't think Israel should listen to Biden or any of these other countries that are telling them to back off and give it another pause and everything. They need to do whatever they have to do. They gave the Palestinians fair warning, um, plenty of warning, told them to get out. They were going to go after Hamas and they weren't going to leave pretty much anything standing. And after the two week pause, they told them, go to southern go to southern Gaza. And, uh, I mean, they gave them every chance they could, and all Hamas did was bolster their um, their being dug in, you know. And yeah. at this point, at this point, Israel, they can't stop. They, they have to pulverize it and clear it. They've got these huge earth movers that they use like in mining. They're not like regular bulldozers. They're massive. They can use those. Once they blasted Gaza to the ground and it's all rubble, they can go in there with these massive, along with Israel's army. And they are getting farther too. Um, I heard they're getting right to the edge of Gaza city. So um, here, here for Israel there's a lot of people here that support them and do what you have to do because if they'll come here next, you know, you know what I mean? Thanks Mm. Rich. Yeah, you bet. Um, Thank you, Kim. I appreciate it. And I I agree with you. I don't know so much about destroying the city as much as it is destroying Hamas, right? We definitely have to get Hamas. And if we could minimize damage and, and civilian casualties, uh, you you need to do that, but you still got to go after the, the people that are, you know, doing the the dirty work here. And that has to be done. And I saw a report earlier. It says the IDF is kind of um, uh, driving a wedge into Hamas, kind of moving them into two sections of the country uh, or of the territory there so that they can kind of divide and conquer. Uh, so as we see more stories on that, we'll share that with you. Uh, I want to continue. Let's see. Where do we go from here? The next caller up, let me see, let me see. Uh, Paul, Boise, Idaho, KBOI. Paul, go right ahead. Thanks for taking my call, Rich. Yeah, um, having a pretty good evening as far as um, paying attention to what's going on in the Israeli war. They, they encircled Gaza, which is just surprising very surprised, pleasantly surprising to me that they're going to be able to uh, probably eradicate the majority of the 
the bad actors. And, uh, of course, there's going to be some more casualties for the civilians, but and you can't avoid that. You're talking about a war. You're not talking about a, an exercise of, uh, of something that, that requires you have to go through and do things that you don't necessarily want to do, but you got to get the job done. I just hope that they're able to catch them alive, that they don't take the poison pill and and uh, uh-huh. ruin what I think what we what we ought to do. I think what what we ought to do is catch them alive, put them on trial for war crimes, and uh, let them know that this will not stand. You know the, the Nazis. Yeah, came- I totally agree with you. I, it can't stand. Uh, this has to be handled head on. And if we don't handle it head on, by we, I mean humanity, right? And I think Israel right now is, is standing up for, for self-defense rights, for the right to retaliate when you're attacked, to, to so many things that, that they, uh, I think, are representing here. Um, while there are some that are sympathetic to Hamas and saying, no, they're the ones that are really standing up for the little guy. It's, they're the ones that are being pushed out of their land, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, um, again... If we could debate that stuff all day, but ultimately you've got to take a stand. And if you don't take that stand, it's over. Right. I mean, it, it, bottom line is we're not going to be able to uh, to remain uh, the way we are. We will have allowed again. We collectively as humanity will have allowed um, the terrorists to win, if you will. And just because there's a significant number of people who are. Uh, anti-Semites out there doesn't mean that that's the right thing to be or the, the right way to handle this. So, um, thank you, Paul, from Boise, Idaho on KBOI. I appreciate the call. Folks, we continue with the rest of your calls and more from Ohio, North Carolina, New York State, South Carolina as well. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. That's 833 482 5337. 833 4 Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. Is Joe Biden cognitively, mentally strong enough to be our president, Mr. Speaker? I think every American uh, feels the same way we do. You heard gasps in the room. It's painful for us to watch. I think it's very dangerous. I think everybody can draw their own conclusion from that. This is a dangerous time on the world stage. We have to project strength. And projecting weakness uh, invites the wolves. And so we know that. And that's why it's so it's, it's so difficult for us to watch that. That is uh, Speaker Mike Johnson on with uh, Sean Hannity on the Fox News channel uh, saying that Biden's cognitive decline is dangerous and it invites our enemies to uh, to take advantage and to test the boundaries and to test the waters. And I think that he's right. Let's go to. Eastern North Carolina, uh, Matt on WTKF. Go right ahead. Yes, sir, Rich. Last night I was about to call you, and then I heard the, I was on the the uh, top hits, 
Well, oh, the greatest hits, the best the of. Up. I thank you for that. However, your earlier guest, Alex, talking about breaking Biden. Oh, yeah, Alex well, Marlowe. Biden, right, Alex Marlowe, right. I just forgot his last name. I've been waiting a while. Anyway, as I told you, call screener, Biden is covered with Teflon. Nothing seems to stick to him. What's your opinion? Well, I think that is uh, typical for most Democrats. Um, rarely do you see a Democrat really um, take a hit, right? Uh, ultimately, what we see is the cover that's laid for him. And again, like I, I always say, look, I, I jokingly call him Joel Baboso Biden. And um, and that's fun. And it's all fun and games. But the reality is he he's a shrewd politician. And he's got muscle memory, even though he might forget, you know, this and that and confuse this one for that one. Uh, I think ultimately, you know, he knows how to do what he does, which is to sell his name, sell his position, uh, amass influence. It's what politicians do and uh, legally or illegally. And I feel that Biden knows what's going on. He does what he does and he gets cover from the left within the media uh, the left within his administration, the the folks that are part of the bureaucracy, uh, everybody's got their hand out. They're looking to get greased a little bit one way or another. Again, not always cash, uh, favors, jobs, you name it. And the media just runs cover. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, he, there's a degree of Teflon that goes with him. He, he can do whatever he wants and the scrutiny is minimal. Uh, and I think that's why we just have to keep exposing what he's doing, uh, because if we don't, People have short memories and they just remember a nice day at the beach, right? Or their last, uh, their last pleasant experience. And they're like, ah, you know, whatever Biden's doing isn't so bad. You know, I just had a great slice of pizza. I had my favorite taco place. And, you know, and uh, those things, you know, a good part of life, people are just focused on trying to live, trying to make the best of their lives. And we have to make sure that we expose Biden because we can never count on the left within the media to do it, Matt. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, thank you for your call, brother. I do appreciate it. Always good to hear from you. And uh, let us continue. Um, let's go to uh, Jane in New York, listening on 98.7 FM. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. How are you? Um, I am wonderful. I, first of all, <laughs> Biden is a moron, and he's vindictive, and I think that's what keeps him going. Um what I want to, the illegals that are coming in, ruining our country. And, you know, it, it reminds me of people who do things the right way. I was telling the gentleman, uh, my husband's aunt was from Poland, and she was a little tiny Jewish lady, and she was the sweetest lady in the world. She was captured, and she escaped in Poland. And she treasured coming to the United States, and um, she was almost captured at one point by soldiers coming through. She and a friend hid underneath a bridge, and they had little children with them, at one tiny baby, and to avoid being killed, the lady had to drown her one baby to save the three of them. They were put on a ship, and they were sent to the United States. And bless her little heart, she went into Ellis Island. She worked. She was 
so excited to work and earn her citizenship, and she was so proud of it. And every, bless her little heart, she lived to be 102, every single year she would have us drive her to New York City, and she would stand in front of the Statue of Liberty, and she would start to cry, and she would blow kisses and just stand there and say, thank you, thank you so much. And she valued her citizenship just so much. And and that's what our world is supposed to be about, not these idiots trying to ruin our country and people like Biden. And it's she was that's what citizenship is about and people who love our country and, and want to be here and want to make it a better place. And um yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Br- making America a better place, or as, as some would say, making America great again, uh, is, a, is a very noble cause that involves a lot of work and requires the effort of a lot of people, whether it's through showing up during elections to showing up uh, in between uh, elections and, and making sure that people are doing what they've got to do. And uh, God bless those that have come to this country and have appreciated it differently and per- oftentimes more so than those that uh, are, are, you know, natural-born uh, American that are kind of given uh, all the benefits of, of being an American from birth and don't have anything to contrast. Um, I think that, like this uh, woman you're describing in Poland, that they went through something. And uh, the fact that you have to kind of, you know, leave with what you got when when the Nazis or when whoever is coming, it, it's uh, it's tough. Right. I mean, that's the only way you could put it. It's really, really tough. So uh, we've got to give uh, her and those like her a lot of credit. Uh, Jane, thank you for your call. I always appreciate it. You are a patriot. And uh, I want to continue with the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Don't move a muzzle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Congratulations on just an amazing show. I know you've worked so hard in the industry, and nobody deserves it more than you do. So I'm happy to see you really succeeding here. It's awesome. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, we continue with your calls and more. Uh, Let's go to Robert, uh, South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Robert, go right ahead. Okay, Rich. 
when I lived in Washington, D.C., I was friends with both Lev, with Sergei Tolstoy, the great grandson of Lev Tolstoy, and uh, Sergei Motorin, who was a uh, KGB and, and, and CIA double agent. And I used to go to them occasionally, with them occasionally, to, to a Chinese restaurant. And, and although mm-hmm. Chinese, Chinese and Russian are very different languages, they practically have nothing in common. Both of them spoke Chinese with the Chinese waiter. So that gives you an wow. idea of how important it is to speak other languages, okay? And when, when I, I always get these government forms occasionally, you know, to fill out questions about census and things like that. And they ask, okay, what languages do you speak in your home? And I thought, I almost roll over the, uh, on the floor because in, in our home, we, we spoke. Well, I, I didn't speak all of them necessarily, but my, my mother and my sister and the other members of my family did. In other words, <laughs> Portuguese, right. Spanish, French. I mean, the, the whole, my, my brother-in-law was, was, was Iranian. Uh, my sister's best friend was the, the daughter of the king of Saudi Arabia. I mean, I mean sounds like the United Nations, Robert. You know, uh, growing up, I, I learned to speak Portuguese, uh, Brazilian dialect, and uh, my parents spoke uh, Spanish to each other, but to, to my siblings and I in, in English and uh, picked up some Spanish along the way as well. And uh, I, I agree. And I studied some French in school. It's always a good idea to have, um, you know, fluency, mastery, even just practice uh, learning other languages, because why not? Uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, it doesn't hurt you, I believe, to, to know more. It'll only hurt you if you don't know them and, you know, they're being used against you. And you're kind of like, oh, what are you saying, pal? Uh, go back to your own country. I mean, you can say whatever you want, but ultimately you're a lot better off if you know how to handle the situation because you know what's going on. Um yeah, good point. Very good point. And uh, I had no idea that you were hanging out with um, Tolstoy's uh, grandson and whatnot. Um, sounds like a fun time if if uh, if you can if you're fortunate enough to have such a good time. Robert from Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Thank you for your call. And uh, let's see where we go from here, uh, trekking across America with callers from all across the nation. Uh, I want to go to, uh, let's see, David. Uh, now, David, are you in Mexico or in Missouri on KFRU? I am. KFRU is in Columbia, Missouri. I work there. Uh, I commute to Mexico, Missouri. I'm on my way home right now. And I listen to your show every night and makes my ride a lot shorter. But anyway, I just wanted to make a comment. Of course. Uh, give some food, give some food for thought to other Americans. Why doesn't uh, someone have Congress instead of giving a hundred million dollars to the Ukraine? Why don't they dump it into our uh, social security system that seems to be troubled? Well, listen, that, that's always been the uh, the go-to, right? Raid the Social Security Trust Fund. Um, ultimately, I think everybody and every economist and every expert believes that that particular system as it exists today is not uh, eligible for the, for the long run. Um, it may be available for the next generation or so. Okay, got it. But I don't know that it's it's going to be the fix uh, for long term. And I think that's part of why we're seeing more people um, doing different things so that they don't get caught with their pants down in a situation like that. But those that don't have the opportunity to diversify and those that are like, Hey man, I was expecting, you know, to do better 
in the long run here. And now we've got our government that's uh, misusing Social Security funds. Um, they're going to get caught with their pants down. And I think most of uh, those that are really expecting it will get it. I think it's more my age group and, and younger, uh, 30s, 40s, and, and younger that are going to probably bear the brunt of that. At least that's my thought, David. Yeah, well, it's, you know, I'm a guy, I'm 61 years old, and they're talking about uh, it's going to fail in uh, 2034, whatever. I'm not sure the exact <laughs> Right. You know, at some, I mean, it's, at some point. it's just frustrating that, you know, I have worked my whole life since I was 15 years old and, uh, you know, I've paid in Social Security. And yeah, yeah. no, it's it's a tough one. And I, 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 I agree with you. They're going to get the money from somewhere. Uh, probably, again, um, more inflation. Uh, and I don't mean inflation reduction. I mean, um just more inflation, more printing of money and more, more spending on stuff we likely don't need to spend on, but that's probably the direction we're going to go in. Uh, David from Mexico listening on KFRU in Missouri. Excellent call. I appreciate it. And, uh, folks stick with us. We're coming right back with the rest of your calls from Ohio, Illinois, and more. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's the speed round. We go to the phones to get your opinions on all the hot topics of the day. Paul, Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ. Paul, go right ahead. Hey, Rich, I hope you enjoyed you a little bit of Melbic there at uh, Mar-a-Lago last night. Oh, let me tell um, you, I did. I did enjoy some Malbec there. It was fantastic. The weather was 82 degrees. Uh, the sun was out. I got a little bit of a tan. I'll be posting pictures probably uh, later tonight or tomorrow morning. Uh, a little delayed on that, but it was really a nice uh, a nice time. Thank you. Uh, just a quick opinion. What yeah. do you think Joe Biden would do tomorrow if um, China invaded Taiwan and, you know, he's got his, his mouth on both sides when it comes to Israel and um, the Hamas. You know, he's not – he needs to support our um, our ally, which is Israel, instead of these bloodthirsty hooligan, no-good-for-nothing terrorists. So that's my opinion, Rich, and you said speed round. And I just uh, – he – Blaine Holt said tonight that we need to have a strategic plan and not get all of our ships. We have seven ships over there, which is seven mm-hmm. ship fleets over there in the Red Sea. Um, I think that Joe Biden needs to look at the bigger picture and his puppeteers better look at this because the threat is not so much from Hamas. It's from Iran. It's from China. It's from Russia. And who knows North Korea? But um, I think he better get on the stick because Joe Biden, with everything that's going on, you're not cutting it, buddy. Inflation, everything else. (laughs) And that's my opinion as somebody who's was a former Democrat who is no longer one because 
the Democratic Party is not what I grew up with. Um, so that's my opinion tonight, uh, Rich, and uh, I'd like your comment on that China thing because that's what worries me more than anything. These people have been fighting for, what, decades and decades and decades, maybe even 100 years. You know, Paul, I think uh, you're, you're spot on here. Uh, I believe that if something happens with China, Joe Biden will immediately begin to appease them and cover for them, right? Uh, he will say something like, look, these are, these are, um, these are cultural differences. Uh, this is once their territory and they want their territory back. I, I think he would just like when he defended uh, the, the killing of the um, Uyghur Muslims, and just basically said, oh, why are you like blah, blah, blah. You know, these are cultural differences, uh, not not that it's a cultural revolution or worse, uh, a genocide in some ways. He was happy to to just, you know, sidestep the facts. So I think he'll do the same now. Appeasement and cover up. Paul, thank you. Uh, let's very quickly go to Jim in Harvard, Illinois. Go right ahead. WGN. Hey, real quick. Hey, Rich. Um, Jamal Boldman, you know, he belongs to the Democratic Socialist uh, Party of America, right. a legitimate party. Yeah, the DSA. And, yeah, well, the acronym kind of confuses people. It's like MGD, right? So let's just call it what it is. It's the Democratic Socialist Party of America. They have an idea. The squad is all part of this. So you have Tlaib screaming and, you know, not uh, lying to her constituents as well as to the public out on the lawn and inciting, you know, a lot of terror in people and not apologizing. And apologizing is like the last thing on her mind. You, you know why? Ball. Let me just jump in here. The reason I think she because she really believes in what she's saying and she she she's been passionate about this. And she was arrested early on before she became a congresswoman for her passionate protests. And, you know, I mentioned a little bit about this earlier, not specifically her, but against those that preach about what they believe, just like we preach what we believe. And ultimately, there's a court of public opinion. There is um, the marketplace of ideas and the good ideas are going to win and the bad ones are going to lose. And that's why we have to be vocal. Uh, Jim, thank you for your call. Really well put. I appreciate it. Big shout to WGN. Uh, Chaz in Syracuse, New York, WGVA. Can't get to you tonight because the music means they're kicking me out. But please give us a call back tomorrow. And folks, hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.